All right, we are back here. It is Thursday, January 18th. Dylan Campione and Nico Fernandez. We're going to be talking about our breakout predictions for the 2024 season. Well, I think the best part about today's episode is that I get to reuse the graphic from yesterday's episode. It is, of course, Dylan and Nico, as always. And today, as opposed to yesterday, when we looked back on the last decade, today we're going to be looking forward to the 2024 season. And similar to what we did yesterday, we're going to be drafting a lineup card of catcher throughout field, as well as five starting pitchers and a reliever of guys that we think are going to exceed the expectations that people are putting out there for them in the 2024 season. I think as a blanket, we're going to call it breakout, but there's varying levels of degrees. There are people on our list that have made all-star games in the past, but we're projecting them to propel themselves into the Cy Young conversation. There are guys that have not had an ounce of success in the major leagues, and we're projecting them to become everyday starting players that are above average. So with that weird introduction, and hopefully it makes more sense when we actually bring in the players, let's bring in Nico. How you doing? Doing good. I'm excited about this for the simple reason of I just got to get one of these right. Like the whole list could be wrong. If one of these guys is a smash hit, like I remember when we were talking about this before, Dylan couldn't tell me one that he got wrong. But the one that he remembers is last year. He said Nolan Jones was going to break out. So again, no one cares about your wrong. As long as I get one of these hot takes right, I am a baseball mind. Very true. And shout out to Finley. He's been doing a great job on the Instagram and TikTok generating those videos for us to so make sure to follow on those platforms when we do indeed get one of these right. I'm sure Finley will be doing a great video there on that front. But unlike yesterday's episode where it was a big draft of just saying players and players and players, this one, we are going to go a little bit more organized position by position. And let's start off at the capstone position of the catcher. Who you got? Well, I talked about him a little bit on our catchers thing. I put him actually in my top 10. I really think Logan Ohapi could be the new start of this Angels rebuild for the simple reason of he's very good at hitting the most important pitch in the game, fastballs. He was elite at hitting fastballs. He had an expected slugging percentage of 630, which is like, amazing and that's what like you want to see out of guys seeing again the most frequent pitch in the game the one thing he struggles with is hitting breaking balls and i think as he's adjusting more to the league he's going to get better at hitting those breaking balls so again logan ohapi has a very simple formula you hit the fastball well keep hitting the fastball well guys like masataka yoshida they had amazing success this year because they hit the fastball and they kind of were able to get incrementally better at the breaking ball. If he just gets a little bit better at the breaking ball, enough that they have to still show him the fastball, he's going to mash. And I think that he could be the start and kind of the core that they were expecting of like this new wave of angels. I like that one. For my catcher, I'm going to go with the guy that I think a lot of people have heard this name before, and it's Francisco Alvarez of the New York Mets. But he wasn't as good as people think he was in 2023. He did it 25 home runs. He showcased a lot of power, and there's those two months of May, and I believe it was August, that he was really, really hot. And everyone, the other thing was May and July. But he was one of the best catchers in baseball. And then he had a couple months, including April and June, where he's the worst catcher in baseball. All of that to say, at the end of the year, his offensive numbers aren't great. He was a below-league average hitter by far. His batting runs value, according to Baseball Savant, was below-league average. 
But the weird thing about him, and the reason initially that the Mets said they weren't calling him up, is they weren't sure about his defense. That was not the case in the major leagues. Alvarez ranked within the top 10%, in fact, in the top 5% in framing. Top third of the league in pop time, his fielding run net value was in the top 10 as well. Francisco Alvarez is a good defensive catcher, which means we know he has the skills to be a good offensive catcher. Put that together, that sounds like a pretty good catcher in Major League Baseball, and he's shown he can handle the big moment with a couple of clutch home runs for the New York Mets in 2023, and hopefully more to come, including in the playoffs in 2024. First base, Nico. I was torn on first base, and I think we'll get to one guy a little later, but I'm going to stick with a guy that I've been following a lot because just because of my brother with like college baseball. I'm going to stick with the Angels because apparently I'm now an Angels fan. I'm going to go with Nolan Chanuel. Again, if you want to call what he did a breakout, I'm not going to call the way he did the first cup of coffee a breakout. But again, he did break the on-base streak for the Los Angeles Angels. The guy has a knack for getting barreled to ball, and he has a knack for getting on base. And again, that's all you want to see out of these guys who I think for this whole thing that we're looking at, we're just looking for flashes and we're looking for things that we can see that can help us predict that they're going to break out. Nolan Chenuel showed that at the elite level, facing the elite pitchers, that guy was able to get on base at a rate that we've never seen before as an angel. And I'm looking at my list now and it seems like I'm going to pick the angels to win the World Series. <laughs> Because uh, I, the Angels may be my surprise team because apparently I'm really high on a lot of Angels here. I rated the back-to-back ones. I like it. Well, along the same ilk as I've been backing the Kansas City Royals now for the last couple of weeks. And we'll get to the main reason why I think the Royals succeed. But Vinny Pasquantino was one of their key building blocks in 2022. It was going to be him and Bobby Witt Jr. And then there were going to be supplementary pieces there as well. But 2023 turned into a washer. He got hurt. Early on, only got 230 at-bats before, I believe, his shoulder surgery ended his season early. He's now on the road to recovery, and he was believed to be back for opening day 2024. If we look at 2022, when he was fully healthy, put up a 300 batting average, 830 OPS, that's a good baseball player. And I think the power will develop. He did only have 10 home runs, but that was also in 250 at-bats. Once you give him a full season of around 500 at-bats, maybe the batting average dips a little bit and it's no longer 300 but I think if Vinny Pesquantino at the end of the year, especially in a stadium like Kauffman, puts up 20 to 25 home runs, has a 290 batting average, and is pretty solid with the glove, I think he's living up to the hype in Kansas City as one of that next, the Eric Hosmer for our new generation of baseball fans, which I think if we get Eric Hosmer level production out of Vinny Pesquantino in 2024, I think I'm going to count that as a mini success for me. Second base. You got it. Second base. I've got very simple arguments for some of these. Some of these, like I went, Logan Hobby, I talked about, you hit fastballs. Von Grissom, I think, is in the perfect situation to develop and succeed for the simple reason, and I've said it a million times, he's on the Red Sox. And I know that sounds homerish, because it, it is, I'm going to be honest, a lot of it is homerish, but the Red Sox have proven that they're able to get hitters to adjust and be able to hit their ceiling. Adam Duvall said it again, said it a million times. Adam Duvall had a career year last year. Justin Turner, who everyone thought was hitting his who hitting his age and he was going to be on the decline, had a great bounce back year this year. They've gone and they developed a lot of hitters. Mookie, Xander, Devers, Tristan Casas is coming out. They have shown that they can go and get prospects and get guys and develop them through their hitting culture. They're going to be a top 10 um, offensive team. The only problem that they have is their pitching. 
So I think that Von Grissom, especially young, being with guys like Devers, is going to learn how to hit. I think he's going to learn how to adjust. Again, Von Grissom did nothing wrong for the Braves. The one thing that Von Grissom did wrong for the Braves was they went and they told him, you're going to compete for the starting spot, and he lost to the guy that started the All-Star game. That was the big knock on. I think everyone sees Von Grissom as a disappointment. Guys, he hit over 300 in the minors because he got sent down because, again, they had an all-star shortstop. I, I think we forget that Orlando Arcia was the starting shortstop for them. I think that he's going to do great. I think that second base is going to really free him up to make plays, so he's not going to have to worry about the defensive constraints that short. And I think he's going to go and have the ability to have a breakout year for the simple reason of he has a lot of protection in a lineup that I know for a fact, no matter who they put on the field because of what their hitting philosophies is going to be top 10 this year. Speaking of defensive second baseman, allow me to introduce you to Nico Horner, who I think this is one of the first guys on my list that I have to establish. Most people, when we did our top 10 second baseman list, had him around that eight to 10 spot. And then I was the first one to say top five, lock it in easy. So, yes, he's already established everyday starting baseball player, and he's, in fact, pretty good. All-star game. That's going to be my barometer on this one. I think Nico Horner is going to be the Cubs rep. Belly's gone. Stroman's gone. Swanson's solid. I bet the Cubs are probably hoping that Shota Imanaga is an all-star based on how much they're paying him. But I think Nico Horner is an all-star in 2024. Defensively, a lot of red on the baseball savant page, as well as hits for a high average. His lowest career batting average was 2022, and he hit 281. Hit 300 in 2021. Or sorry, 2022, he hit 280. 2021, 300. And 2023, hit 283. He's your stereotypical two-hitter in your order that's going to play gold glove defensively at second base. I just love Nico Horner. He's one of those players that, again, if the Chicago Cubs are going to be good in 2024, Nico Horner has to be one of those players, and I think he's going to do so. Let's go across the diamond and talk about the shortstops. The shortstop, again, homer pick, because I really like the guys that I've oh, seen. Sorry. Going back to the Angels. for some, <laughs> I'm going Zach Neto. And I think that Mark DeRosa, I mean, I've seen him play, but I think Mark DeRosa gave a great breakdown on what he could be. I think that there was a stretch there where he was absolutely raking. And they really broke down that he's very good at adjusting. He almost gives that Bo Bichette hit to where he is extremely aggressive on aggressive counts and extremely conservative on, on when he's behind the count, which I think is very good if you have the back control to be a good hitter. One thing that Zach Neto does well is he does not chase. For all his huge swing, he doesn't whiff a lot and he doesn't chase a lot. So he's going and he's having all these aggressive at-bats and these aggressive swings, and he's only hitting balls in the zone and i think that that's a recipe for success he was like taught i believe 80th percentile in chase rate which again if you've seen zach neto he does not look like a guy that would be when he's swinging for defenses on 00 and 10 and 20 that he would be chasing swings at good pitches to hit and to be honest a little bit of bias he's got swag i feel like every single ball that he hits you think is going to go out because he basically pimps every single thing his first career home run pimp job hit one off of garrett cole pimp job hit one off a of frammer hit two off a of frammer both pimp jobs all i know is that at minimum i'm gonna love seeing his home runs and hopefully he hits a lot of them and i think with the with his approach and how he doesn't chase pitches and takes daddy hacks at good pitches i think that's a good recipe for success my comp him from an offensive perspective boba Shet. if he can get to that that's a breakout guy my breakout i hope he hits less home runs and 
that's probably a very counterintuitive statement to make when you're saying, hey, you want him to do better than he did in 2023 and say, let's hit less balls over the fence. But that's because it's an approach shift for Anthony Volpe. He obviously can steal a lot of bases, although when Sean Casey came in in the second half, he said, let's not steal bases. Let's go station to station and just hit the ball and mash the ball. So Volpe finished the year, I believe it was around 24, 25 stolen bases. He's going to get to that 40 mark. That's going to be a barometer for being a breakout this year. I think he could be hitting leadoff for the Yankees by the time the season ends, especially when you have an aging G.J. LeMay who penciled in to be the leadoff hitter right now. I'll say the only caveat is if Aaron Boone gets weirdly creative and all of a sudden is like, you know what? Juan Soto is going to hit leadoff and Judge is hitting too. If that happens, Anthony Volpe is not going to be as good as an offensive player as Juan Soto. So the Yankees are hitting Juan Soto leadoff. That'll be my caveat as to why Volpe's not. But Volpe has the skill set. Get his average up a little bit. Get his on base above 300. Right now he's at 280 on the on base. And I think we can all agree that's not going to cut it to be a major league baseball starter. But I think if he can get that in to maybe 320, pushing it to 330, as well as the good defense, plus 40 stolen bases. And yes, if he can hit 15 to 20 long balls, that's cool too. But he has to focus on hit the ball on the ground, hit the ball on the line, and run to first base. Willie Mays hates it. Come on, Aaron Boone. Every time he hits a pop-up, 10 push-ups. Yankee Stadium would love that. You know, Could you imagine all the bleacher creatures if Anthony Volpe starts the game with a pop-out and he just goes and hits the deck and has to do 10 push-ups? I mean, come on. The shirts for John Boy just write themselves if that's the case. Yeah, I actually think that, and it's going to be weird to say, Besides the pitching, because I think the pitching is a big question for the Yankees, I think offensively, he is the most important part to their success, in my opinion. From the standpoint of you're going to get what you get out of Judge from a health perspective, as long as he's healthy. Soto, you're going to get, Soto has, is known for that high floor. You know, he's going to have a full season. He's going to have an 830 OPS. He's just walking in there. But again, a lot of this lineup is old. And that's just a fact. Glaber, you're hoping that Glaber can give you what he gave you last year. Stanton, hopefully he can have a bounce back year. DJ, hopefully he can have a bounce back year. Rizzo, hopefully he can have a bounce back year. But again, those three guys are aging guys. Really, when you're looking to have like an offense that gets fired up, usually it doesn't happen from guys bouncing back. It happens from guys breaking out. So I think that that third guy, I think if the Yankees want to be successful, I think it needs to be Aaron Judge. Juan Soto. And I think the, the guy that they have like hitting like their third or fourth best hitter needs to be Volpe. I think Volpe needs to be like their fourth best player at minimum from the lineup perspective for them to really have a serious offense that can compete in the playoffs. And I think it can happen because he's obviously a first round draft pick. They picked him that high and called him the future Derek Jeter for a reason. Although obviously there's been debates of late as to whether Derek Jeter was actually a good baseball player or not. But Anthony Volpe is a good baseball player. And I think he's got it in him to be the future leadoff hitter for the Yankees. Let's go to a position that's usually filled with superstars, but we really struggled with this one, and that's third base. Yeah, weirdly enough, this guy, I'm picking him, but he technically, I'm pretty sure he has an award, if I'm not mistaken. Ryan McMahon, I'm pretty sure he won the gold glove. I'm not, am I correct on that, or did he not win? Did Nato probably just win it? I'll, I'll do a little... Give me a little fact check while I talk about Ryan McMahon. Ryan McMahon is really on pace right now to be the Nolan Jones of this year. 
The guy did above average in basically every stat that you like. He was above average expected slugging, average exit velocity above average, barrel percentage above average, hard hit above average, sweet spot above average. He is very good. Again, he's going to get help by Coors Field, even though I personally hold the belief that if you're good there, you're good anywhere. Obviously, some guys, that's not the case, but I think it's more that they just weren't as good as you thought they were. I think Ryan McMahon is on pace after the breakout year. We, we've seen flashes of him being able to hit the ball hard. We saw a little his rookie year. And I think that if he can really just put it together, again, he's in a very hitter-friendly ballpark. He can be the Nolan Jones of this year. And I think if Nolan Jones stays where they are this year and he improves, they can kind of be like the Nationals where they're not going to be good, but they can have a month there where they just surprise people and they just – be a ton of above average teams where you're like they have no business sweeping this team because the nationals had a it was in july or august where they were just like whoa are nationals actually like not terrible <laughs> then september came and they were terrible but that could be the rockies this year where they go and it's just like one like july when it's like the dog days they kind of hit their stretch and you just see and you look up and you're like the rockies have been the dodgers diamondbacks and i'll throw out like the brewers i don't know another good team and all of a sudden, you're like, wow, is this team actually on the come up? The fact check confirmed it was Cabrian Hayes won the gold glove. Ah, dang. Good on that front. But I will go with the guy that not going to win a gold glove anytime soon. He's okay defensively, but that's not what's going to separate him. And that's Davis Schneider. And not only does he have a great mustache, according to his MLB.com profile photo, which we always love to see, but He's a guy that's going to be underrated in this Blue Jays offense. Everyone's going to say if the Blue Jays are going to succeed, it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr., it's Bo Bichette, it's the corpse of George Springer, it's Dalton Varsho, and it's all those other guys in between. Alejandro Kirk rolling up to the plate, too. But David Snyder last year, in his small sample size of 100 at-bats, would have been on pace for a 10-war season. Let me repeat myself there. If David Snyder played in a full season, he would have had roughly a 10-war season. Is he going to do that in 2024? No, those are Otani numbers, and Otani's not even going to get there because he only pitches. But if Davis Schneider does half of that, putting up a 5-war, he had a 175 OPS plus, he had a 400 on base, he hit 8 homers in those 100 at-bats. Roger Center is a very good hitter's ballpark of late, as we've seen a guy like Vlad, he can go off and hit 40 home runs. Is that Davis's game? I don't know about that, but... I could easily see a world where, and we always love the exact opposite of my Volpe pick, where he's a first-round pick. David Schneider was drafted in a round that no longer exists, the 28th round of the 2017 draft. and was just sitting around Eastern New Jersey product, got to go north of the border to the Toronto Blue Jays, and was buried behind Kevin Biggio and Santiago Espinal. And when both of those guys were struggling and needed to find a new position at the end of the year, Blue Jays needed a spark plug, called up David Schneider, and he produced. I expect him to do so in 2023, or he did in 2023, and I expect him to do so in 2024 because not only were the actual numbers themselves really good, but the underlying numbers as well as he was an above average batting runs value hitter. His expected batting average was really low at 214, which is a little nerve wracking given that his actual batting average is around 280. So there's some discrepancy there. But I think at the end of the day, he's bound to regress from the numbers he put up last year because, again, they were superhuman Frank Schwindel 2021 type numbers but I think he's still going to be a very solid Major League Baseball player going forward. Let's go to, because we did break this down by the three outfield positions, your left fielder. You see, we went and when we were doing the research of this, 
we said that we weren't going to do bounce backs. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no bounce backs. And I picked my guy not knowing that he he hit as well as he did in 2021. I thought he had like an 830 OPS. He actually had a 930. So this is not really too much of a breakout. Decided only to look at his bad years. But I think I'll still go with it. I think Tyler O'Neill is going to be a very integral part of this Red Sox offense. Again, going back to the Red Sox, they know how to develop hitters. They know how to adjust hitters. I think that Tyler O'Neill can get back to what he was for the simple reason. We've seen it before, and we know what he needs to do. The big thing that Tyler O'Neill didn't do last year is, yes, obviously, his rates were a lot down from 2021, but they weren't as down as you would think. The big thing that went down was his sweet spot percentage. What sweet spots percentage? I'm going to be honest. I didn't know until like a week ago, and I saw it like 30 times, and I was like, what sweet spot percentage? Basically, he's not hitting the ball up. He's hitting the ball on the ground. And that's a big thing. And sweet spot percentage is that you're hitting that right launch angle. I don't want it to high. I want him to hit the, the ball up because the sweet spot percentage should be a high percentage. Up. I needed to go up. The thing was at like 12 in the 12th percentile last year. Which okay. is terrible. When yeah. he was doing well, it was in the 90s. I'm not saying he needs to get to the 90s, but again, it's the same thing with Yelich, which is why I'm not a big believer in Yelich this year, is when you look at Yelich when he was good versus the last couple of years that he hasn't been good, not a lot's changed except one thing. He's hitting back to hitting the ball on the ground. And again, for guys like Volpe, when you're an elite speedster and that's what they want out of you, yes, you're going to want to hit the ball on the ground. For guys like Tyler O'Neill, for guys like Christian Yelich, that again, you're getting paid to put the ball over the fence and hit doubles. We need you to hit the ball up. I need him to see more line drives, more fly balls, because he's still good at all those sweet spot and barrel stuff. He's still hitting the ball hard. It's just going straight into the ground. So if he prevents it from going straight into the ground, I think that all his rate stats are going to go up because, again, it's just easy outs when he's not trying to hit the ball on the ground. Allow me to introduce you to a left fielder who is in the top 10% in sweet spot percentage, whatever that stat means, in 2023. And that is new Atlanta Braves left fielder, Jared Kelnick. Now, when I first decided to put him on my team, I will be honest, there was no stat behind why. It's just a matter of he's now the Mets rival. And this is what happens with the New York Mets. And the Braves will work their voodoo magic, just like they did with Eddie Rosario and Marcelo Zuna. And all of a sudden, Jared Kelnick was going to be an everyday left fielder performing really well. Upon looking at his baseball savant page, there are some red numbers. He's good on the base paths. Cool. He's got really good arm strength. Can't wait for Pete to get thrown out at home. And he does a good sweet spot, question mark. <laughs> I'm still not 100% sure about what it means. I just know well, that. I was like, because I saw Yelich. I'm like, why is this one thing of Yelich last year still bad? And it was bad Yelich. And then I looked and it was like, oh, it's when you hit the ball. It's basically you just hit the ball up. Like, that's all it is. Which I like out of Kelnick because obviously the results translated. Because in 2023, it was his first, I'd say, average, if not above average season in the majors. He had an above, or he had an exactly 746 OPS, hit the ball over the fence 11 times. Batting average was a little low, 250, but slugging was around 419. And I think Jared Kelnick, if the Braves got what he did last year, they'd be happy because they didn't give up much. They took on the contract of Marco Gonzalez that they immediately swapped, I believe, the Pirates. So low risk, 
high reward with Jared Kelenic. He's got first round potential in him. He's got Met Killer genes in him. He's not afraid of the clutch moment because we've seen him do that in Seattle in the past. I just think this is a good, I hate to say it, a good Atlanta Braves acquisition because he fits the team of gritty, goes to the last out type of ball player that you want on your team and hate when he's not on your team. Maybe he ends up platooning if they get a guy like Adam Duvall like they seem to do every single year out in left field. But I really do like for the time being that Jared Kelly is going to have the chance to be a 7-8 hitter in the order, no pressure, hit behind Michael Harris, hit behind Orlando Arcia, just play baseball for arguably the best team in the league. Yeah, I just want to make it clear that I was, when we were going into this, the first person I said was MJ Melendez. But I feel for like the last five episodes, I've just made it a point to put MJ Melendez on like what I was doing because I think he's going to be so good that I'm like, I cannot say the same thing I've said about MJ Melendez for the sixth straight episode. So I was like, I'm going to do anyone but MJ. Check out Instagram if you want to hear the MJ break. Check out the TikTok. I've talked a lot about why MJ is going to be good and why he's going to be a great left fielder, but I'm not talking about it for the upteenth time. <laughs> Center field, you're going to need to do some clarification on because yeah. he is a household name. In fact, he's been on the cover of video games. This is the the first one where like all these guys, we've kind of like had the expectation of, oh, they're actually going to break out. This is the one that I really needed to find what breakout is, and it's Jazz Chisholm. And a lot of you guys are like, wow, bro, <laughs> I see him on my PlayStation every single day when I'm trying to get into MLB the show. I know. I do, too. By, I know. By that- the way, no mean to interrupt. That could be an episode soon of who's going to be on the cover of 24. Get some experts. About it. Yeah, I think it could be more of a reel, but we'll see what we do. We'll see what we do. But Jazz Chisholm, as good as people think he is, because, again, he has all the highlight reel stuff. After he got that first injury two years ago, he hasn't been the same player. He wasn't the same player last year, and he wasn't the same player in that second half. So he really hasn't had that year, that breakout year that we're all expecting. Again, moved to center field last year. I think it hurt him a lot because I still think he can play center. I just don't think that that's he needed a little bit of adjustment to get there. And I think that Jazz is really going to have this year the year that we were expecting in 2022 that he was, that we were expecting. He goes, he has all the tools that we've seen before. And he showed that flash for one half. The only thing is as much as we love him, we haven't seen it for a full season. I think this is the year that we see it for a full season. Dylan loves Brandon Nimmo. I don't like him. We're not, I'm not going to put down Brandon Nimmo more than I already want to. Michael Harris, again, Seems like he's going to be one of those guys that just consistently going to walk in and have a good year. I think that the guy that's on pace to have that breakout year, and you're going to look and see like, wow, there's a lot of good center fielders in here, but he's the best center fielder. It's going to be Josh Chisholm. I think that Josh Chisholm is going to go out this year and everyone's going to be, we're going to be doing our positional rankings next year. And there's going to be an argument. Is Josh Chisholm a top three center fielder in this league? Oh, I hope he will be. But I think that he's going to be in that conversation after this year. Interesting. I like that one. And I'm going to go with the guy that at this year's top 10, Chaz McCormick made it into a lot of your left field lists. So I'm going to say that this time next year, we'll be having that same argument about Jake Myers. And is he good 
offensively, no. In fact, he's one of the worst center fielders in baseball when it comes to offense. But gold glove caliber defensively and is really good on the base pass. In fact, I don't know how they measure base running value, but he's in the top quarter of the league when it comes to that statistic. He's one of those guys that's the prototypical center fielder in that defense comes first. Our generation's Kevin Kiermaier, especially on a winning team like the Astros, where he's going to play every day for the sole purpose of they don't need him to be a superstar offensively. They're going to have Jordan at DH. They're going to have Chaz in left, and then they're going to have Kyle Tucker in right. And they're going to want a guy that's really good defensively in the middle to secure things. And that's where Jake Myers comes in. Obviously, I would love for him to become solid with the bat. His 678 OPS is okay. He's going to hit 789 in that order, and there's not really much he could do about that anyways because given the guys that are above him in that order, but there's a lot of potential to Jake Myers becoming the everyday center fielder of the Houston Astros. And I think part of this debate as well, if Jake Myers is the starting center fielder on a World Series team, it's almost like you have to say that's a breakout because if he was really bad, they would have replaced him at the deadline or with someone else. So next year when he becomes a household name during the World Series, I think I'm going to count that as a victory even if he's performing the exact same way that he is in 2023. Right field. We got some fun ones. Yeah, right field is one guy who I think everyone just kind of like put out the pasture, almost like Kellenic for a little bit, like how you mentioned him, that we kind of had a lot of expectations and he never seemed to like get it done in the minors. And he had a cup of coffee with the Phillies. Last year, he only in 300 play appearances, so about half the year. The Angels fixed Mickey Moniak. He had a 280 batting average, which again, for a guy who's young, that's great development, especially coming after a 170 average and an 091 average. He finds barrel, hits the ball up, and he has the tools. I mean, he was the number one pick in the draft for a reason. There's no doubt that the tools are there. And it seems that the Angels have figured him out. And apparently, again, this is the fourth Angel I've done. So apparently the Angels are making the World Series because every single guy on their team is going to break out. But Mickey Moniak seems to have solved the problems that plagued him in the minors and in the big leagues for his first two years. And if he's able to do what he did in the first half of this year, we're going to be talking about a guy that can have an 800 OPS, that can have an 830 OPS, and have the tools to be an elite right fielder with a good arm, good speed, can steal a couple bags. And we're going to be sitting here and being like, where the heck did Mickey Moniak come, come from? Because we were all expecting him to be dead, dead to rights. And he just came out and popped an 840 OPS and no one's paying attention. You know, you were really, really, really close. He was on a struggling team. He struggled in twenty in a couple years ago. And he was even a number one overall pick. You were right there. But I you was. just had the wrong year. It's Henry Davis of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And now is there anything, and unlike Moniac, who we started to see the turn happen, there was no turn for Henry Davis. Every defensive metric sucked. Every offensive metric sucked. His war sucked. Henry Davis, as a baseball player in 2023, sucked. The only metric, and this is where I'm going to try to turn things in his favor, arm strength, 98th percentile. Which means, with Andy Rodriguez out for the season, can we put Henry Davis back a catcher? He's technically a right fielder right now. And the Pirates have said their plan is for him as a right fielder, which is why I couldn't put him at catcher here. Plus, 
Francisco Alvarez is my boy and he'll always be my catcher. But I like the idea of a lot was thrown on his plate in learning a new position at the major league level as a right fielder and he struggled. But the good thing about the Pirates being bad was that they allowed him to play every single day. Now he did get hurt, which caused him to miss a little bit in the season. That's why he doesn't have as big a sample size as everyone would like him to. Put him back where he's comfortable. Bring him to spring training. Say, Henry, this year, because Andy's gone, you're our starting catcher. Be comfortable and force the issue where we have to decide who's going to be our catcher of the future, Andy or you. Just play baseball. One Number one overall pick. Former Louisville slugger. Although he didn't hit that much power this year. Seven home runs and 225 at-bats. But again, 2023 is over. New year. Bring your star mong behind the plate. Just hit a little bit more. And we've got a breakout and a number one pick that we've learned in the past. If you're a high draft pick, you're going to get countless opportunities like Moniac has and like Henry Davis continually will be. You just texted me. You just said, I want to go on a mini rant. Yeah, it's a little rant because, and this is going to help you because. Ooh, I like that. Because there's one thing that pisses me off and it's not anyone's fault, but I think we've gotten a little jaded by guys like Fernando Dadis, by guys like Julio Rodriguez, by guys like Gunnar Henderson, by guys like Adley Brushman. Now we expect- <laughs> We're not even going to talk about that. But <laughs> I feel like we have this expectation that every single rookie needs to rake as soon as they get into the big leagues. And I think it's because we just have this thing where if a guy's not good in social media, we just put him out the pasture, especially with the NFL that like rookies are able to break out. This isn't the NFL. It's difficult to play baseball, especially as a rookie getting to the big leagues. Corbin Carroll needed a cup of coffee in September before he broke out. I hate that we go and we just instantly, like you're saying, you're sitting here talking about a number one pick. And just because his, first year he was bad even though he did everything right in the minors that you feel like you have no argument for him because we're just in this like baseball now it's like if you're not good as a rookie we're gonna just think you're gonna suck always I hate it it like pisses me off because like just have faith in the guys that are good again every no one's talking about because he did two weeks well Ellie Del Cruz did not have a good year this year he had a good month and I think that if everyone looks at the month, they're going to be looking like, oh my gosh, Matt McClain should be starting at short. Ellie De La Cruz, he just had those one, that one month, he was a one month wonder. It, no, it's not the end of the world. Rookies are supposed to suck. Why? Because there are 30 year olds like Garrett Cole that have been pitching in this league for ages. Mind I remind you, Garrett Cole was seen, people were looking at Garrett Cole when he was with the Pirates, like, yeah, this guy has shown flashes, but are you really going to be what we expected him? Won the Cy Young. <laughs> Jacob Ebron broke out his rookie year, was pretty good. But again, everyone's like, will he get back to that rookie? Yes, he did. He won a couple Cy Youngs. Max Scherzer and Killian Kershaw, my favorite story, is that they went and two studs were supposed to pitch. I forgot who. And both of them were out. I think it was supposed to be Randy Johnson against – it wasn't supposed to be – it was supposed to be like two elite pitchers. And they're like, ah, we're going to see Kershaw and Max Scherzer, two random guys. Every single person was once a random guy. And I think if we now are like in this age where if you don't produce, because we've seen Tatis, because we've seen Adley, because we've seen Julio, because we've seen Acuna, because we've seen Michael Harris, and because we've seen Gunner, we've seen them all break out. That It's just this expectation now that if you're not good your first year, you're never going to be good. Like this guy was a number one pick, has done nothing wrong. The only thing he's done wrong is that he went and he faced the elite of the elite, 
and he didn't perform in his first year. Like, it's not the end of the world. Like, we can't just be writing guys off because it just pisses me off that we can't be writing guys off just because they had one bad year as a rookie when you're expected to suck because everyone else is elite. I, I applaud. That's a very, I like that take. I don't like. It's a, I, it's not, it shouldn't be a take I have to make because for <laughs> all of MOB history, it's been true. Yeah. And again, it's not their fault. It's not the thesis fault that he went in on his first year. He broke out. It's the same thing for Volpe. I think everyone, again, when Volpe didn't hop onto the scene and wasn't Jeter, everyone thought that Volpe sucked. And that Vol like the fact that Volpe, again, he had a, he had a average, he won the gold glove. The fact that we're talking about him like as a breakout because, and we're like saying that he needs to get better offensively this year is just ridiculous. For the last 100 years we've done baseball, People have had time to develop. And in the last five years, because we've had stars that are broken out, we think that every single rookie should break out. A-Rod had a 187 batting average his rookie year and started. He sucked. He sucked. He had 300 player appearances. Sucked. And we're, no one's talking about A-Rod being a sucky player. No one gave up on A-Rod. He ended up winning an MVP, which seems like every single team that he happened to be on. Like I like, could we just stop the fact that if a guy's not good in their first year, even though they're a highly touted prospect, that their career's over? <laughs> All right, so we're gonna get into the starting pitchers now, and we each picked five starters. So I'm gonna do this, Nico. Is you're gonna list the five that you chose, and then if you want to go in depth on two or three of them for the sake of time, because we don't want to leave our listeners out here for too long, but say all five and then highlight two to three of them. All right. Okay, I'll go. I'm going to start, I'll save my hottest one for last, the one that people aren't going to make sense of, and I'll expand on them. I've got Brian Bayo, Homer pick. Just to be sure on it. Andrew Bailey, new pitching coach. Hopefully he can figure out Brian Bayo and get him to expand. Hunter Green, coming off an injury. I think he has all the tools to be a great pitcher in this league. He has elite stuff. I love guys with elite stuff. Yuri Press, same thing. Showed that he can dominate at sometimes. Marlins are known to have good pitchers. I can see him having a breakout year. The two guys that I'm saving for now are both my hottest takes of these for two completely different reasons. The first one's Logan Allen. A lot of you people, when you think Logan Allen, you're thinking of the other Logan Allen that was on the Indians. I'm talking about their new prospect that got called up last year. Logan Allen has an elite pitch, and he is throwing it a lot less than he should. He's in the 95th percentile of his changeup run value. The only reason it's not higher is because it was his third most used pitch. So here's a tip, Logan Allen. I saw mm -hmm. you pitch in college. I saw you dominate in college. I watched you throughout the minors, and I saw you dominate in the minors. I saw you have a 1-8 ERA in the minors. It's very good for a starting pitcher. You want to know what helped you get there? Your changeup. So I'm not a pitching coach, but you have an elite pitch. Devin Williams has an elite pitch. I know he's a closer. But if you have an elite pitch, it can't be your third most used pitch. I'm not saying that it needs to, you need to be Devin Williams and throw it every single pitch because you're a starter. It's not going to work. But your sweeper that's below average cannot be your second most used pitch. Use the changeup. The Guardians have shown that they've been able to develop pitching. Shane Bieber, great guy to talk to. You know what he's going to tell you? Hey, I succeeded because I threw my best pitch a lot. If you throw your best pitch a lot, I promise you, Logan Allen, because whenever your whole career, it's worked. It worked at FIU. 
Merv will tell you the same thing, Logan, if you're listening. Worked in the minors. You're in the big leagues now. It's what got here. Throw your changeup all the time, please. That's my first one. Second one, it's a hot take for a completely different reason. Sonny Gray is going to win the Cy Young this year. I'm stamping it. I have now officially, I've said on podcast, my NL MVP is going to be Bryce Harper. I said it on the first base thing. And our NL Cy Young, I'm going to reiterate, I said it on the New Year's thing. It's going to be Sonny Gray. This comes from two reasons. One, like I said with the other guys, I really value elite stuff. And I think no one has ever doubted that Sonny Gray has elite stuff. He has this unique knack to just throw and spin pitches at such a high rate. And he's able to get generate a lot of movement from a three-quarter angle. He has all the building blocks. And I think now he is in the perfect situation, meaning he is in the NL Central. I've said it a lot. The Centrals suck. And they're not getting any better. And guess what? The two best hitters, guess what team they're on, Dylan? The Cardinals. Paul Goldschmidt and Notto, you don't have to face. So again, unless Henry Davis breaks out, even though I went the rant, and I'm agreeing with Dylan that he's going to break out, Cody Bellinger isn't going to go back to the Cubs. So right now, your, your head guys that you're facing are Yelich, who hits the ball on the ground, Seiya Suzuki, Henry Davis, O'Neal Cruz coming back, or Cabrian Hayes, and the Reds. I'm not, I'm not worried about the Reds. Maybe you'll get a little bit hurt in the Great American Ballpark, but you're comfortable because you pitched as a Red. Sonny <laughs> Gray has all the tools and the great situation to be the NL Cy Young. And we've seen a lot of pitchers in the last couple of years be NL Cy Youngs from the NL Central. Again, kind of a black ball from the LB, but Trevor Bauer, Orban Burns, we've seen it happen. You Darvish shoved that 2020 year too. The best two pitchers in the NL were both there. You have the perfect situation because you're facing worse. You're just facing objectively worse offenses. And you have all the stuff. No one's ever denying your stuff. You had a, a great year here as a twin. Just build on that. Everyone's picking two articles I already see on MLB Network have picked your counterpart in Minnesota, Pablo Lopez, to win the AL Cy Young. I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. You're going to win the NL Cy Young because you're in the perfect spot to do so. Pablo Lopez isn't winning the AL Cy Young because I think this guy has a sneaky, very good shot at doing it. And that's Cole Reagans of the Kansas City Royals. I think the numbers don't, you know, when the math isn't mathing, that's the phrase. The numbers aren't crunching with Cole Reagans because every underlying number says that Cole Reagans should have performed a lot better. His breaking ball is one of the best in baseball, 97 percentile. His pitching value, he's in fact in the top 12 percentile. His ERA was around 3.5. His whip was around 1-2. He won seven games. I know wins don't matter, and the Royals sucked, but he was also in a pitcher-friendly ballpark. I don't know why the numbers weren't working with Cole Reagans last year, because he should have been one of the top 10 pitchers in baseball. And people like myself who dig into the underlying value is starting to see that, okay, maybe that means it's actually going to come to fruition in 2024. So Cole Reagans, breakout. I see it coming. I know it's coming. He's on the list. Ryan Pepio, simple reason. He was a Dodger. He's now a Tampa Bay Ray, the two smartest organizations in baseball. The Rays said, we're going to give up a potential ace in Tyler Glasnow pretty much for Ryan Pepio. That means they know something that none of us know yet. Michael King, easy. Yankee fans will be upset. But Michael King was really good for the Yankees to end the season. In fact, 
There was talks that Brian Cashman didn't want to give up Michael King in exchange for Juan Soto. Michael King's a good pitcher. He's slated to be their number three easy starting pitcher. Mitch Keller, Pittsburgh Pirates. Besides from a couple blowups and looking through the game logs right now, Mitch Keller either went seven innings and allowed zero runs to two runs or went two innings and allowed eight runs. If you eliminated the six starts that Mitch Keller gave up six or more runs in three innings, and again, I know you can't actually do that, Mitch Keller's ERA is probably two runs lower than it is because when you think about the math, and this time the math is going to math, if you go three starts with allowing one run, and then that fourth start, you allow eight, your ERA is going to sit around four, four and a half. Versus, if we can just get that eight, and it can maybe be six innings, three runs, the ERA is looking pretty. The numbers are looking pretty. The all-star game appearance is happening because he's a Pittsburgh Pirate. Mitch Keller is going to be, unless he's traded, maybe he's the underlying ace that gets traded at the deadline. You never know. But Mitch Keller has the stuff and literally has the performances to be a breakout pitcher. We just can't let the earth shatter in September and give up 24 runs in three starts. I kid you not. 24 runs and three starts. There's a little stretch in there where that happens. Just be a normal pitcher. Be average when you stink. Don't be the worst pitcher in baseball when you stink, Mitch Keller. And then the last guy. My favorite pitcher to talk about because shout out friend of the podcast, Vicky Lugo, a couple of years ago. Seth Lugo is one of the coolest pitchers in baseball because Throughout his time with the New York Mets, his curveball was known as like the freaky pitch that spun farther than any pitch in baseball. And that when you were to ask, what's a funky pitch in baseball? It's Seth Lugo's curveball. What does RPMs mean? What does true spin mean? Seth Lugo's curveball. Except in 2023, it wasn't a good pitch for him. In fact, he got tattooed a little bit. Expected batting average on his curveball was 300. Fast forward a year ago to 2022 expected batting average was 209 i expect going to the kansas city royals pitching factory he's gonna go back to 2022 but with seth lugo his fastball was dominant that's not seth lugo but in 2023 seth lugo's fastball run value was top three percentile in the league and that's with seth lugo not throwing it that hard because seth lugo's never been about velocity in fact he was averaging 93 on his fastball this year and it was a top three percentile pitch in the league. Now, I know as a starting pitcher, it's tough to be a two-pitch pitcher. But if you have the best curveball in the league, and you have the third percent best fastball in the league, that's a one-two combo that was definitely worth the three-year deal that the Royals gave Seth Lugo. And this is why Cole Reagans plus Seth Lugo plus Brady Singer, who I wanted to include on this list, but I think Nico would have flipped out if I had three Royals in my five-man rotation saying that like I have like I didn't have the whole Angels offense. <laughs> Plus I loved the Michael Walker signing and then Jordan Lyles is your perfect five starter that's going to go six innings, three runs every single outing. That's a quality start every single day out of the Kansas City Royals rotation. Throw in that I'm basically saying that Lugo and uh Cole Reagans are going to be aces and then Michael Walker and Brady Singer are good middle of the rotation guys. Royals winning the central. I've said it since day 1. It's going to happen. I can't wait for this to blow up in my face. 
but that's why, because they have two very dominant pitchers that are going to break out, break out, and we're going to hear it from Mets fans all year when Seth Lugo is at the All-Star game, and we're going to say, we could have had him. Yeah, you could have, and you did, but you wanted him to be in the bullpen, and you didn't want him to start games, and he's got the repertoire to be a starter. Speaking you're of the making, bullpen, are you want you want You're just making me, because the thing is, like, I think MJ's going to ball out. He just broke down. I think Michael Walker in my opinion, is the top five underrated pitcher in the MLB. I think if you look at what he's done the last two years, you're going to be like, that's not the Michael Walker I know. <laughs> and you've convinced me on Reagan's. Seth Lugo, again, you have to think. The same way that people are like, oh, if they go good, it'll revert back to the mean. You have to think that Seth Lugo is going to go back to having at least a well above average curveball. Mm-hmm. Sneaky, when we get to our predictions, you're mm-hmm. sneaky convincing me because I believe in Bobby Witt and I believe in MJ. They're, I think I'm going to agree with you when the time comes. The Royals are going to lose in the ALCS to the Astros, but they're winning 90-plus games in the Central with ease. But Again, it's the Central. Like That's what people – like. I hate the crap on them. They're not good. <laughs> that is true, but – it's an interesting place to be. But finally, let's wrap things up with our relievers. Pretty straightforward. I'm going to go with the guy that I think he is nasty stuff. He posted a sub two ERA, and I think there's a chance if Devin Williams is traded, this guy's going to get save opportunities. It's almost going to be like the Felix Bautista of 2023 in that no one's really heard of him. And then he just continues to pitch really, really well. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, shoot, this guy's actually pretty good. Let's Abner Uribe of the Milwaukee Brewers. Your guy is... Brewster, same exact reason you said, besides the trade part. The guy has electric stuff. He has a sinker that moves a million feet at 99. He has a cutter that moves a million feet the other way at 97. And he has a wicked slider that moves 2 million feet at 92. There's like, there, that has to be one of the most uncomfortable at bats I've ever seen because you're just in there scared. Like, is that sinker going to run in and just hit me on the elbow on that funny bone? And I'm going to be wincing for the rest of the game. Hopefully not because hopefully they put him in the ninth inning and it'll just be really quick. And he goes one, two, three and gets the save. I think that he could be that guy that we're looking up and we're like, well, Rooster Gratterall had a, like a one five and just no one realized because he's pitching in the eighth inning. Hopefully he can get more save opportunities. I like it. And then the last pick that we have for you guys before we wrap up is our wild card. And that, these are two players that are near and dear to our hearts that we think are going to break out. Nico's definitely got a leg up on me on this one, but tell us yeah. about the wild card that you think is going to be a very solid player in 2024. I loved the Homer idea, so I didn't put this guy in my lineup, but he was in my lineup until you brought up the Homer idea with the wild card. Tristan Casas will be better than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. this year. I said it. It's going to happen. Look at Tristan Casas and what he did in that second half when they actually let him be Tristan Casas. The first half, they thought it would be a good idea to let him platoon and take a game off every other game. It was basically one game on, one game off for like the first half of the season because they didn't want him to face lefties. And he struggled because, again, rookies, as I said before, need time to develop. I know it's a shocking thing that young people need to develop and get better in the MLB. Wild take. He raked in the second half. 
He had a 900 OPS, which is, again, what you see out of an elite hitter. Has an elite eye, is able to draw walks. Everyone's seen the, the video of him just getting hyped after a raised walk because he put up a 12-pitch at-bat. He has good at-bats. He hits the ball hard. He hits the ball up. It's everything you want to see out of your next slugger. He will have everyone who wants to love Vladimir Guerrero and go and wish upon a star that he would have won the MVP that year so that no one talked about him anymore. Tristan Casas is going to be better than Vladimir Guerrero, and everyone's going to be sitting here and be like, is Vladimir Guerrero really that good? No, the guy who's that good is Tristan Casas. He's going to be the AL Silver Slugger at first base, and Vladimir Guerrero is going to be an afterthought. It's not going to be close because we're going to be looking at Tristan Casas. Actually, I'll go a step further. He's starting at first this year for the AL. He's starting at first. The only thing that's going to keep the Red Sox from missing the playoffs is going to be that their pitching is going to allow seven runs a game. But I think Tristan Casas is going to drive in six runs a game, so he'll lose every game by one, apparently. All right, and for the fourth consecutive year, actually it might be the third consecutive year, welcome to the Tyler McGill show. Oh Is my he going to break out? No. But do <laughs> I have to continue to say this until he does? Yes. Because one of the first ever tweets from the side retired account was from yours truly, and I said, quote, we'll come back to this in six years when Tyler McGill is the next Jacob deGrom. We're now entering year four, and I'm starting to lose hope. Last year was not an exception. He had a 4-7 ERA. He had a pitcher run value in the bottom 20 percentile in the league. There's one stat that is red, and that is that his extension is the top two percentile in the league. But that's because he's six foot nine, six foot eight, and he just needs to lean forward and he's got it. There's no statistic. There's no hope. But there's one thing. Tyler McGill has a new pitch in 2024. Oh, and shown it on his Instagram. And it looks kind of filthy. <laughs> the name of it. Just the name alone makes you think this is why I love Tyler McGill. It's called the American Spork Ball. Because <laughs> his teammate has the fork ball. In fact, it's called the ghost fork. So Tyler McGill with his massive hands, and he's shown that his hand versus Senga, he's able to grip the ball farther and basically put the ball inside of his fingers in a way that makes it look like a fork, but also like a spoon. And when you think about that, it's a spork. So Tyler McGill is bouncing back in 2024. Finally, mm -hmm. not bouncing back, breaking out, sorry. Because I remind you, two years ago, on a staff that had Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer, Tyler McGill started opening day for the New York Mets that year in Washington, D.C., a fun side retired. Was that by choice? <laughs> I think it was COVID mixed with injuries, mixed with... It was his day to pitch according to spring training schedule and Tyler McGill started opening day and I thought I was actually going to fulfill the prophecy. But here we are again, year four of Tyler McGill and the majors. The American spork saves the American hero and Tyler McGill is going to win. I don't even know what he's going to win. He's going to win a rotation spot. This is terrible, Dylan. And that is my wild credibility. Like we're losing credibility when we say things like this. Like Dylan has tried to, we've built up so much credibility over the years that you've done it and the last year that I've done this. And in the last two episodes, you have found a way to make us lose all credibility. I want to remind everyone who listens 
that in the last two days, Dylan has said that Adley Rushman has been better over the last decade than Yadier Molina. Yeah. That Tyler McGill is going to come back this year with the American Spork Ball. Yep. <laughs> Take out. Yep. Okay, Dylan. Uh, and just wait, because we've got a fun episode tomorrow coming out featuring our top 10 right fielders. And you know I'm going to mention our guy Henry Davis on that one. But... I don't know. We're going to put freaking Tyler McGill on that too. He's 6'8". He's going to rake. The breakout season of a Starling Marte returning to 2012 steroided form is going to be amazing this year. But that concludes this episode, of course, as we're starting to wrap up the offseason. We've got a boatload of interviews coming out with a lot of people getting ready to head off to spring training. Some repeat guests, as well as if you have any other suggestions that you want us to do these lists and rankings, make sure to email us sideretiredpod at gmail.com. We really do appreciate all the support that we get on our socials as well as on the episodes. These things would not be the same without you guys. And we want to give you guys a little reward. And that's where our new sponsor, Dugout Mugs, comes into effect. And that Dugout Mugs, for all your drinking needs, you can go there, get a mug. They have designs for all 30 Major League Baseball team. I believe we can fact check this. I think they have a mug for the Baseball Hall of Fame due to the announcement coming out next week. And of course, if you listen to Side Retired here, you can get not 10, not 20, not 25, but 30% off your order when you use the promo code SRP30. That's again, all capitals, SRP30. You can get 30% off your dugout mugs. I know Nico's thoroughly enjoying that those are his Christmas present he gave out to everyone in his family, but make sure to get the same Valentine's Day approaching. Any girls listening to the podcast, your guy wants a dugout mug. Make sure to get it for him. Or the other way Thanks around. Thanks for girls listening to the podcast. That's what I want for Valentine's Day. Hit me up, Nico.Fernandez on Instagram. My DMs are open, ready for some side retired listeners. <laughs> well, that wraps up this episode. We will see you all again tomorrow. And for Dylan and Nico, the side is retired.